You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. So as I was praying over what to preach today, I was looking over the list of our members and our regular attendees. And what stuck out of me as I was looking at the list of people is that many of us are experiencing circumstances that have caused us to be weary, caring for family members in different situations, an increase in generously serving others with a listening ear or with counseling words, families with young children, children that are sitting right next to you during the service, online learning or working at home, a prolonged season of waiting on the Lord, increased workload in the last several months, social distancing or or even isolation taking its toll on many of us in various ways. Now, some of these circumstances, they might not change for a while. And relief in the way that you are looking for might be a long time coming. But I hope this morning to Encourage us by gazing together once again upon the one who cares for the weary. I hope for our faith to be strengthened as we again encounter the good and sovereign hand of God. And I want us to see and really embrace the sweet rest that God provides for his saints in Christ. So with that in mind, please turn your Bibles to Matthew 11. We'll be starting at verse 25. Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. I'll be reading from the ESV. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Father, you know that I need to hear this message um, as much as uh, my friends and brothers, sisters uh, sitting here. Father, we pray that you would again, um, by your spirit, shine um, your light into our hearts that we may see the glory of you in the face of your son. We pray that um, you would help me to speak with power, with clarity, and with conviction. And we pray that what is said will bring salvation to those who are lost, who are burdened by the weight of their guilt. We pray that you would comfort those who are weary and give them joy in Christ, and that Christ would be magnified once again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So our sermon will have three points today. We will see that Jesus delights in the Father's will. We will see that Jesus alone reveals the Father and that Jesus gives soul-satisfying rest. And we'll start at the first point. So as we see in our passage, our passage begins with the phrase, at that time. And this connects us to a few verses right before this, where Jesus has just pronounced some woes on several cities. Even, even when he worked miracles there, they did not believe in him or repent. And so they will receive the just penalty for rejecting Jesus. And it is against this, this backdrop of people rejecting him that Jesus utters his prayer of thanksgiving to God. So if you look at verse 25, notice how Jesus addresses God in prayer. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. He acknowledges their relationship and the excellence of God's character. By addressing God as Father, we see Jesus' profound, his profound self-awareness as the Son of God. And this will prepare us to hear the astounding statement that he will make in verse 27. And by addressing God as the Lord of heaven and earth, he affirms God's complete sovereignty. He joins the psalmist in saying in Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. This, the the right of God to do what he wants, is the reason that Jesus thanks God. And then we continue in verse 25. So I thank you that or because you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. God has the right to hide and reveal the nature of Jesus' person and his mission of salvation. The the wise and understanding here, they are self-sufficient people. They say, they say I, don't, I don't need divine help to understand God. I see reality. I see the true nature of things rightly with my own eyes. And in the immediate context, these are the cities that Jesus has just denounced. Even though Jesus performed mighty works, he performed miracles, those who witnessed were not granted the gift of repentance. They were not able to see Jesus for who he was. And this is because God had hidden it from them. But we see that he has revealed, God has revealed this, the, the, the nature of Jesus' person, the mission of Jesus to little children. And these refer to people who are dependent and love to be taught. When children are around two or three-year-olds, they, they constantly begin to ask the question, why? And sometimes it can get a bit overbearing. But what it is is that they want help to understand the world around them. They want to make sense of what is going on. So when Jesus speaks of children, these are the people who realize that they need spiritual help. They're the ones who say, my, my way is not, it's not working. If you don't give me spiritual eyes, I can't see things rightly. And when encountering Jesus, these people, they respond like a child with a simple faith, trusting in him. 
And then if we continue on to verse 26, we see that this concealing and revealing pleases God. Look with me at verse 26. Jesus says, yes, fathers, for such was your gracious will. Or if we take it more literally, some of us have a footnote that it says, for so it pleased you well. Now, we might think of it as as cruel or unfair that, that God would exclude some from knowing him. But Jesus' prayer here, it helps to correct that way of thinking. He, he thanks God. He rejoices in the will of God. We see here that whatever pleases God pleases Jesus. It pleased God to orchestrate salvation in this gracious way. Listen to what D.A. Carson says about this passage right here. This is what he says. The astonishing thing about God's activity is not that God acts in both mercy and judgment, but who the recipients of that mercy and judgment are. Those who pride themselves in understanding divine things are judged. Those who understand nothing are taught. The sovereign God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who we just sang holy, holy, holy to, the one who has no other equal, the Lord of heaven and earth, He reveals himself to those he chooses. And how? How does he do this? Through whom does he do this? And this brings us to our second point. Jesus alone reveals the Father. So we see that Jesus the Son has has just praised the Father for concealing and revealing according to his good pleasure. And now in verse 27, we, we have the Father authorizing the Son to do the same. Look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Now the phrase, the phrase all things refers to everything needed for Christ's mission of redemption. The Lord of heaven and earth has handed over all things to his Son, in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, as Paul tells us in Colossians 2. And John 3.35 expands on this idea. This is what it says. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And then reading on in verse 27 of Matthew, we see the depths of this loving relationship. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. There's an an enormous emphasis here on the relationship between the Father and the Son and on the person of Jesus. Now, now this would have been a a highly provocative statement in Jesus' day. How could someone, a mere human in man's eyes, how could this person claim to have that kind of exclusive and intimate knowledge of the one true God. And to see this, we're going to briefly step outside our text and turn to a couple passages in the book of John. So this is what we read in John 1, the first few verses of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We see here that before time began, Jesus, the Word, was with God, 
participating in the creation of the world. And then in John 10, Jesus again speaks to the mutual knowledge between him and the Father. This is what he says. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then in John 17, Jesus speaks of this reciprocal knowledge, this knowledge between the Father and Son as eternal life. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So now the question becomes, how does, how does anyone obtain this eternal life? Some people may know about God. They may know facts about God. He is the greatest possible being that we can conceive of. He is loving. He is just. He is in control. But they don't really know him. So if there's, if there's a closed circle between the father and the son, how is anyone, how is anyone ever going to come to repent and receive this eternal life? Look with me now at the end of verse 27. No one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. There is no repentance, there is no eternal life if Jesus the son does not reveal the father. But as we saw before, Jesus rejoices in the Father concealing the way of salvation to some and revealing it to others. He has been given the authority, the privilege to hide and reveal according to the good and gracious will of the Father. It is God's delight to reveal himself through the person of Jesus. This is what we see in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And listen to John Calvin as he exalts in this very truth. It is the gift of the Father that the Son is known because by his Spirit he opens the eye of our mind to discern the glory of Christ which otherwise would have been hidden from us. The Father who dwells in inaccessible light and is in himself incomprehensible is revealed to us by his Son. It is not because of intellect or endless searching or moral integrity that one comes to know God. It is the free gift of God to whomever he chooses through whom he chooses. And that is exactly what Jesus does. This is what we see in John 17, verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus, he reveals the Father. He delights in the will of the Father and accomplishes it with authority. He lets his chosen people in on the timeless relationship he has enjoyed with his father. And how he does this is by giving what John Piper calls the sweetest invitation in the Bible. And this brings us to our third point. Jesus gives soul-satisfying rest. 
Jesus says simply in verse 28, come to me. Come to me. In Jesus' mind, there was, there was no contradiction between sovereign electing grace and the free invitation of the gospel. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus knows this, this is what people need. And there is only one requirement. All who are weary and heavy laden, those who have become tired through struggling or work, those who are exhausted from bearing heavy burdens. But Jesus is not just speaking in a physical sense here. If we look ahead to verse 29, Jesus offers rest for the soul. Jesus is talking about those who have grown tired of trying to earn their way to God on their own strength. People who have been crushed by the weight of observing the requirements that their misguided religious leaders placed on them. The the, the Jewish religious leaders, the, the Pharisees, they only gave promised rest on the condition that everything was followed perfectly. And these teachers and these leaders, they they offered the people no help. And this is what we see in Matthew 23, verse 4. It says, They tie up heavy burdens, the Pharisees, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Now, why would people come to Jesus? Couldn't he just be another teacher who delivers empty promises? And this is why he first discloses to them the essence of who he is, his character. In verse 29, we see one of the few, if not the only place in all of Scripture where Jesus shares his heart, the core of who he is. Listen to who Jesus reveals himself to be. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Instead of being harsh and demanding, he is gentle. Instead of being proud or domineering, he is humble. His listeners were, they were used to prideful teachers, people who would show off how well they were following the law so they might be hesitant to come to him. But imagine this, the one who has all things, all things handed to him by his sovereign father is lowly. The one who has divine authority to conceal and reveal the will of God and the way to God, he is humble in heart. He condescends so that people will be able to see his heart of service. Now, isn't this how the Apostle Paul describes Jesus in Philippians 2? Jesus, though being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself again by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself to serve. That is his inclination. Jesus is not, he's not looking for slaves. He's not cracking his whip saying, work harder, tithe more. You failed again. He came not 
to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. On that cross, he, as he died, he bore the burden that no one could bear, the penalty for sin and death, the wrath of God against sinners. On the cross, he revealed the will of the Father to save sinners, and he displayed his servant heart for those he came to save. Rest for the spiritually weary from the servant king. But this rest that Jesus offers, it doesn't mean inactivity or relaxation. Jesus also has requirements as a teacher. There is still something to bear. Look with me at verse 30. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Many of us know a, a yoke was a heavy piece of wood that was placed on the back of two animals, usually used to pull a heavy load. And the yoke here is a metaphor for the requirements from a teacher that their disciples were to follow. Now, the, the requirements of the Pharisees, they were, they were crushing. There was no relief in following them. But Jesus claims that his teaching is light and easy and will give rest. So was Jesus then just giving us another burden to bear? Where is the rest in that? Wouldn't it be better to bear no burden at all than a light and easy one? Now, from a certain perspective, Jesus' teaching is not easy at all. He instructs his followers, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Those are pretty high standards. But the difference is this. When the Holy Spirit gives someone a new heart to love the things of God, the teaching of Jesus turns from being unappealing and a chore to being attractive. When you are in love with someone, nothing becomes too difficult to do for the target of your affection. The value of your time and your money drastically changes. A long late night phone call, a 12 dozen roses or a dozen roses in my situation, or flying to the other side of the world seems like nothing. When the humble, dependent child sees the sovereign, electing grace of God in salvation, when they hear Jesus saying in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will never cast them out. When they are captivated by the character of Jesus, it becomes a joy to follow the teachings of Jesus. Listen to how Robert Mounts describes it. The burden he asks us to bear is light in that it is not obedience to external commandments, but loyalty to a person. Loyalty to a person. And this is what we see in 1 John 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. So now when we read the words in, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take up my yoke and learn from me, they are a delight to hear. Jesus is saying, learn from the revelation that I alone 
can impart. There is now a desire to accept Jesus' teaching, a yearning to know the Father. There is confidence that Jesus is lifting the burden with us. He alone can give power to do what he requires. It becomes a joy to live a life worthy of the gospel. It is a joy to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And notice that it is work. But there is the promise that it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is grace that saves, and it is grace that sustains. It is this ardent following after Jesus, living as a disciple of the gentle and lowly one that will bring eternal soul-satisfying rest for the weary and heavy laden. Listen to what Daryl Bach says about this. What Jesus offers is rest, not because labor will stop, but because in humility and in leaving one's care truly up to God by trusting him, the disciples' burdens are lessened. A dependent walk lightens the load. Rest for those who desperately need it and do not deserve it. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're not yet a Christian and you're sitting here today or you're listening at home, I wonder, is, is your soul weary? Are you exhausted from trying to reach some kind of standard in this world of, of never being enough or never doing enough? Have these last seven months shaken your foundations and trust in how the world works? Have you worried more, especially in these days, about death? Is your conscience distressed by your wrongdoings, whether big or small, whether in the past or in the present? And will you admit that your soul is indeed weary? If so, you are in the perfect place to take Jesus up on his invitation. Listen to what Dane Ortland says about this. Speaking to you, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. So don't, don't be like the wise and understanding that Jesus talks about. Go to Jesus. He stands ready to receive anyone who comes to him. Be like the child who says, Jesus, I, I give up. I've tried finding rest for my soul, and I'm done trying. Only you can satisfy me. Children, they will find any opportunity to, to give their, their heavy backpacks to their parents or to their older siblings or anyone else who is willing to carry it. Go to Jesus. Acknowledge that he has already taken care of the biggest burden that your soul cannot possibly bear, the penalty for sin. And it is my prayer, and it's the prayer of, of all of us here, that God will grant you the faith and the repentance to turn to Jesus, to go to Jesus for your eternal joy and for your eternal rest. And now for my brothers and sisters in Christ, how does this passage speak to us? Where is the rest that we can obtain from Jesus? How can we apply this passage? Um, give you two ways. 
So first, sit at the feet of Jesus. Sit at the feet of Jesus. When my brother Josh got married, he asked one of his, he asked his mentor, Alex Phillip, to give the sermon. And even, even though I was his best man and I spent most of the day with him, I don't remember much of the day. But what I remember is the sermon that was preached, and it has stuck with me for the last six years. Alex, had, he, had, he had encouraged my brother at the end of high school to consider bringing the gospel to the Arab world. And from then on, my brother Josh, he set his sights on that goal, and that vision of bringing the gospel to the Arab world is one of the main things that brought him and his wife together. And by God's grace, they are doing that today. Alex knew that, that Josh and Sam have been gifted by God in, in many ways and in many areas to serve the church. He knew that evangelism and church planting would be hard work for the kingdom. Many hours learning a new language, laboring in a place that is openly resistant to the gospel of Jesus. And so he chose to preach on the story of Jesus visiting the house of Martha and Mary. Mary, or Martha, was distracted with much serving of Jesus, while Mary sat and listened to Jesus' teaching. And this is the question he posed to them on their wedding day that has stuck with me. Will you be like Martha, or will you be like Mary? Will you be distracted with much serving of Jesus, or will you be content to sit at the feet of Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong, we should be serving Jesus. We should be serving Jesus. But the issue is a matter of attitude and intent. I look around the room and I, I know that many of us serve the Lord in many ways. Prayer warriors who sustain the people and ministries of our church. People who take care of the logistics of our Sunday gatherings and maintain our church building spouses serving each other, parents tirelessly raising their children, people caring for family members that are sick, serving our families by providing financially, seasoned saints giving of their precious time to counsel younger ones, meals being made and delivered for those who need it during this time. It can be so easy to be wrapped up in serving Jesus that we forget to sit at the feet of Jesus. And this is something that I've, I've struggled with for, for many years. I've tasted the bitter consequences of my foolish, foolishness too many times. Running, running on fumes, joyless service, having a complaining attitude. And yet I'm still often tempted to repeat my mistake. Don't be so busy serving God that you neglect to enjoy him. There's, there's always this nagging thought for those who are overzealous in, in service. There's, there's always more to be done. There's always more people to care for or to pray for. There's, always, there's something that needs to be cleaned or fixed around the house, and it all has to be done excellently because it's for the glory of God and for his kingdom. But if we check, check in with ourselves, we can often find something else beneath that driving desire to serve God. A desire to prove, to prove our devotion to God, to others, or even ourselves. So how, how do we tackle this? 
Preach, preach the soothing words of the gospel to yourself again and again. Bring yourself again to the foot of Jesus at the cross. My worth, my standing before God is not based on what I can do for him, but what he has already done for me in Christ. How I serve, how well I serve, how much I serve, and what other people think of that has no bearing on my identity. I already have royal status as a child of the king. Rest comes in remembrance of who you are in Christ. Find ways to to regularly intake the teaching of Jesus in the word and enjoy his presence in prayer. For those of us who have more consistent and predictable schedules, this is, this is, this is easier for us. Pl- planning a, time, a daily time of Bible reading and prayer in, in the morning, listening to the Bible on the way to work, if you're, if you're going out of your house for work. Reading good Christian literature after dinner, meditating on a passage throughout the day. But, but what if your life right now, in, in your season of life, is, is so hectic that you are lucky if anything goes according to plan. Sitting at the feet of Jesus can seem like a a cherished activity of of a bygone era and an impossible luxury in your busy and distracted day. So what, what can be done? What does it look like for you to sit at the feet of Jesus? Try identifying a a distraction from spending time with God and and neutralize it or, or get help with removing it. Read your Bible away from your, any screen or TV remote. Ask, ask a spouse or a friend or an, even an older child to, to watch your children for, for even 10 minutes so you can refresh yourself in the Lord. Invite a trusted friend to tell you if the way that you are spending your time does not reflect your priorities. As we serve Jesus, let us remember to sit at the feet of Jesus. So that's the first way. And then the second way we can apply this passage is to fight sin and find rest. Fight sin and find rest. Now, at first, this, this might seem like, like a paradox, a contradiction. How, how does fighting give you rest? It makes you tired. But think of it like this. Rest for our souls comes from trusting in Jesus and following his teaching. In trusting him, we are acknowledging that he is all we need. He satisfies our souls. He is our shepherd, and we shall not want. But because of our sin, we don't, we don't like to stay satisfied in Jesus. The, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they, they will lure us to find our satisfaction, our, our rest in anywhere but Jesus. Indulging in our sin gives us a temporary and false satisfaction. And this competes with our contentment, our rest in Jesus. So part of taking on the yoke of Jesus is to consistently and constantly fight our sin that drives us away from being all satisfied in Christ. It's a constant striving to be at rest in Jesus by putting our sin to death attacking with, with, with fervor and with zeal anything that would steal our joy in Christ. 
And the good news is, the good news for us is that we do not do this by ourselves, by our own strength, but by the power granted to us through faith in the promises of God. So what does this look like? What does this look like? Well, we're gonna take a look at just, just two sins among many that we can be fighting, anxiety and envy. So when putting anxiety to death, acknowledge, acknowledge that you are contending for supremacy with God by wanting to be in control of all things. Refuse to give in to this form of idolatry. Realize the lie that comes with anxiety. You will feel better if you worry since you are doing something about the situation. Fight with the promise of Isaiah 26, verse three. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Return to your rest that comes in trusting again in God. And what about, what about envy? The unhappy feeling towards the blessing of others. The sin that can manifest itself in, in rivalry, in resentment, resentment, in gossip, and in anger. How is this sin put to death for our eternal joy and rest? Refuse, refuse to grasp for the God-given talents and gifts of others. Resist the urge to constantly compete with your fellow image bearers. Join David in saying by faith to your soul, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Declare with the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And return to your rest, find rest, knowing that you have been graciously and richly blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's pray. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, and my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Jesus, on you rests our salvation and our glory. You are our mighty rock and you are our refuge. Holy Spirit, give us the faith to turn to Jesus and come to him for rest and for our joy. Do this for the glory of your name. We pray all this in the name of King Jesus, amen.